You know what that music means, everybody. It is time for a new episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official, the one and only podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Not only is it your free resource for Ohio State news, it is your premier resource for Ohio State news around the internet. And on this episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, we did kind of similar to what we did last week with Kyle Robbins for the Indiana game. We sat down with Jake Kokorowski of Bucky's Fifth Quarter, also of Badger Nation, and the co-host of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza podcast to talk all things Ohio State, Wisconsin, and the big game this weekend up in Madison. This is an interview that we recorded last night, so on Thursday, I'm coming to you on Friday afternoon. This podcast should be out here in less than an hour, so we'll get that to you guys today. But I sat with Jake for probably about 50 minutes, and we talked about everything pertaining to the game, kind of how Wisconsin's season has gone so far, why their offense, at least in the running game, has struggled more so than what we've historically seen from the Wisconsin rushing attack, and kind of everything in between with, with what's going on with Wisconsin this season, their surprising 4-1 and one start. And then after breaking that down for a while, we got into the game. Jake gave us his thoughts from a Wisconsin perspective on how the Badgers match up with the Buckeyes, where they really need to play well. We talked a lot about the linebackers and the run game for Wisconsin. And finally, his prediction for the game. And to wrap it up, uh, Jake is also the co-author of a book coming out next week called Walk On This Way, The Ongoing Legacy of the Wisconsin Football Walk-On Tradition. So we talked a little bit about that, where you can find the book. You know you're going to hear a little bit about J.J. Watt in there, Jared Aberderis, some of the other Wisconsin walk-ons that not only Wisconsin fans are obviously familiar with, but that even Ohio State fans and Big Ten fans and fans of college football know from what Wisconsin's been able to do for the last two decades. So that's what's on deck for today. Without further ado, here's Jake Kokorowski. And welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land podcast, your official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. I am Colton Denning, and we are here with our second part of our special uh, interview series, I guess, that we, we started last week with Indiana, and we are going to talk... Ohio State, Wisconsin, the big game. Game day's there this week in Camp Randall with Jake Kokorowski. If you want to find his work, you can find it. He is a writer at Bucky's Fifth Quarter, SB Nation's Wisconsin site, BadgerNation.com. He's also the co-host of the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza podcast. He has co-authored a book that's coming out later this year, Walk On This Way, the ongoing legacy of the Wisconsin football walk-on tradition. We'll get into all that stuff, but first, Jake, how you doing today, man? Doing great. Couple days away from the big showdown top 10 matchup here in Madison, underneath the lights of Camp Randall Stadium. So much history, and it is going to be an electric atmosphere with college game day, and it uh, you can tell that the atmosphere here is pretty special right now. Uh, should be a great matchup on Saturday night. Well, and you brought up the the top ten showdown. You know, I I personally would have never guessed that coming into the season that what we're in week six now, week seven, I guess, and here we are. Wisconsin's eighth in the country. Ohio State's number two. I know that Matt and I in our our season preview podcast for the Big Ten, we were both very bearish on Wisconsin. I even I thought that there was a big possibility that Wisconsin wasn't going to reach a bowl game this season based off of just the schedule and, and some of what they lost with Dave Aranda and with the offense as well. But through five games of the season, Wisconsin is four and one. They've beaten LSU. They handled Michigan State on the road and they played Michigan pretty tough on the road as well. What have been your biggest takeaways so far from what you've seen out of the Badgers through five games? I mean, the big thing that you've noticed through five games is the simple fact that this defense, once again, is leading the team like it did in 2015. And it, it, it comes from the production of that front seven that everyone thought was going to be the strength of the team. You have uh, a deep depth chart of those defensive linemen. They're, they're six deep when it comes to, I would say, 
too deep with those, uh, you know, the three, four defense, but they are vastly underrated to the point uh, where, you know, you don't hear a lot about them, but those linebackers, I remember Vince Beagle a couple weeks back praising them and how well that they take up the blocks and, and take up, you know, fill up those holes and gaps and, it starts there, but that those linebackers, even without Vince Beagle right now, TJ Watt, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, tied for the lead in, in sacks and are very close to in the conference uh, and having a, a great year. I predicted a breakthrough year for him after just transitioning from tight end through in that summer of 2015. He found a way onto the field. You can credit T- Tim Tebisar, the former Purdue defensive coordinator, also now the outside linebackers coach at Wisconsin. So, you know, him and uh, just TJ, uh, it was a TJ Edwards, uh, the inside linebacker leading tackler last year, Jack Sitchie, and then also Garrett Dooley, Zach Bond have played well against Michigan. But the real, I would say the real surprise is the secondary. They lost three starters last year, Mike Caputo, Darius Hillary, and Tanner McAvoy. Those three did find homes during the NFL preseason, though Caputo was cut. McAvoy is actually a wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks catching touchdowns from Russell Wilson. That's still weird for uh, a lot of people to comprehend, comprehend on that part. But, uh, and then Darius Hillary is actually on the practice squad for the Bengals. So, you know, there are some NFL caliber talent in, in that secondary, but then they have to replace those three starters. They lose Durante Jones, who also went to the NFL to the Miami Dolphins as an assistant coach. But in comes Jim Leonard, the three-time All-American, 10-year NFL veteran. I had a chance to interview him and then a, a lot, a couple, you know, got a chance to talk with Rex Ryan for the book, actually, about Jimmy Leonard and glowed about him, how he was basically a, the quarterback for the defense. And he's really helped this secondary out. And it's impressive to see just the confidence that those players have right now. And two new safeties, Dakota Dixon, Leo Musa, a lot of concern in the early part of the year because of the fact that they're both 5'10", a buck 95, and they're still playing well against the run. They're able to contain a Leonard Fournette in week one in that win up in Green Bay. So it, it, it really goes, it's really, the, the I would say the narrative is that defense has kept them in games throughout the entire year it it continue it will for the rest of the year uh now it's just it's time for the offense that offensive line uh, that's hampered by injuries and, and not able to consistently get that running game going which is a staple of wisconsin's pro style offense that needs to step up and this saturday it's going to be quite the challenge yeah and sticking with the defense i know the the outside perception from not only just an Ohio State fan, but from writers around the country and other college football types. When when Dave Aranda took the LSU defensive coordinator position, as somebody that follows the program very closely and uh, among other Wisconsin fans, what was kind of the feeling about the defense heading into the season? Was it, well, we lost a great defensive coordinator, but we still have pieces? Or was it, man, it, it really might take a step back this year? What was kind of the general feeling about this defense heading into the season? season. There, I mean, there's a feeling amongst uh, those that cover the team, but also amongst the fan base that it's hard to keep up that line of success. Like last year, 13.7 points per game allowed led the nation in scoring defense on that part with losing an All-American in Joe Schobert, who's now with the Cleveland Browns, losing those secondary members. A lot of people predicted with the schedule, the daunting schedule, probably arguably the hardest schedule Wisconsin has faced and you know it i won't say modern times but just in recent memory you're looking at the fact that you know that they thought it would be a step back you're going up against a, a very talented michigan team michigan state was supposed to be you know their number eight when wisconsin faced them in east lansing a few weeks back lsu was ranked fifth or sixth depending on which poll you you looked at and agreed with so Everyone thought, okay, this defense is going to be rock solid. Yeah, there's some questions in the secondary, but really, it may not show, but you know, the stats may not show uh, just how good they are because of that schedule. So, you know, that being said, they've pleasantly been surprised with, you know, Justin Wilcox, despite the rough outings at USC as a defensive coordinator for the past two seasons, came and didn't change much. And that's what, you know, they, they changed maybe some terminology here and there, but they, they kept it relatively the same in that 3-4 defense and I mean, it's spoken for themselves, and they've talked about uh, how they've been freed up a little bit in other media interviews and in other articles just how this team 
you know, how this defense is reacting now. And uh, I'm not surprised how well they are. This this group is deceptively athletic. They may not have the four or five star recruits up and down, but they play hard. It's you know they call you know it's kind of the the mantra: Wisconsin smart, tough, dependable, uh, and they they're very disciplined with their assignments, and they're athletic enough to make the plays when needed. So uh, it, you know going in they're was a lot of talk about how it'd be a step back just because of that schedule and the statistics may not show it. But uh, once again, like yeah. like the great Wisconsin teams in the past, that chip on their shoulder, you know, it's a it you know you prove them wrong, and it's kind of what you've seen in, in past great Wisconsin teams having that ability to step up and and make the plays, and they're they're playing disciplined, and you know, it has been uh, definitely uh, I would say a surprise through these first five games. Well, and just from an outsider's perspective, is it fair when I say that just looking at the numbers and watching, I think I've watched most of the Michigan game, a lot of the LSU game, and all of the Michigan State game, even with Vince Beagle's injury, the linebackers are the strength of this defense, are they not? They are, and it's it, and you're looking at you know even without Beagle, Garrett Dooley, Zach Vaughn, uh, and, and Dooley in particular played very well in my opinion. And obviously there was a little bit of jitters, you know, uh, the reception by Jake Butt on that first drive by Michigan uh, looked like maybe that was Dooley's coverage. Uh, not necessarily sure on that, but you know comes in seven tackles, has a sack, could have had another one on that first drive for that matter uh, with an open lane. I thought he played well, uh, it, but you know, it goes back to TJ Watt where right now uh, seven and a half tackles for loss, which is uh, amazing to hear. It's uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's fourth amongst, amongst big 10 players so far in this young season, the five and a half sacks uh, ties for the seasonal lead. And, you know, he has the ability to bounce off the blocks uh, take on one-on-ones and, and win those matchups. And then the inside linebackers, there's just a plethora of riches there where despite having Chris, you know, losing Chris Orr with that knee injury on LSU's first offensive play in that season opener, uh, Jack Sitchie, who they, you know, Joe calling him three sack Jack uh, for the fact that with the three consecutive sacks against LSU in the uh, holiday bowl back uh, last season, they had three starting caliber linebackers heading into the season at once Edwards would get back healthy after suffering a, a foot injury right before camp. But you also have a guy named Ryan Connolly who formal walk on uh, quick plug there for walk ons, but stepped up, had Played very well in, in that absence with Edwards out and Orr out, had seven tackles. Uh, so there, there's depth there and there's talent. Uh, and you combine that together and the, just the d- discipline that they have, you know, there's no wonder why ESPN ranked them number one in the conference, you know, in, during the preseason. Uh, and, you know, Bruce Feldman from Fox Sports, you know, in his, one of his columns ranked them number four in the nation. And, and this team, you know, it, it starts up front with that front, you know, with those defensive linemen and, and Olive Sagopolo, Chikwe Obashi, and, and Alec James, Connor Sheehy really kind of helping eat up those gaps. But, yeah, those linebackers, they play well, they play disciplined, and results have shown. Well, and I think we've we've broken down the defense, and that, that seems to be, like, the big matchup, I guess, especially after Ohio State went through their struggles against Indiana last week that everybody's really focused on is, is how Wisconsin is able to, if they're going to be able to shut down the run on first and second down and kind of leverage Ohio State into passing downs. But let's, let's flip the script here and talk about Wisconsin's offense. It, it's been an interesting, I think, start to the season for them in LSU, that LSU game. Bart Houston, the more experienced quarterback, gets the start as well as Akron and I think Georgia State as well before Alex Hornibrook gets his first start at Michigan State and on this podcast and in my weekly column for Land Grant I remember saying something to the effect of like oh you're gonna start a redshirt freshman on the road at Michigan State good luck and he goes out he's 16 to 26 he only one touchdown and one interception if you just look at the stat line a very pedestrian day but he made some really nice throws on third down in the Michigan game as well the stat Stats obviously don't reflect a good day, 9 of 25 for 88 yards of touchdowns and three interceptions. But I think in just the limited amount I've watched him for a redshirt freshman being put into kind of the spots he's been in, I I think he's come up with some big plays when Wisconsin's offense has really needed him. Would that be a fair assessment? 
I would say so. Alex Hornibrook, he, you know, Southpaw, redshirt freshman, as you mentioned, has, I mean, he was also an earlier enrollee. So, it, you know, that's one thing to note about him that he came in the same time as what many, I would say, you know, anointed Austin Cofensis, uh, who is a Utah State Player of the Year, holds 15 prep records. Uh, he, they both came in as early enrollees, and Hornibrook, from the get go, displayed a stronger arm. Uh, he, you know, and was more of a prototypical quarterback in Paul Chris system, and he he gives a dynamic that Bart Houston maybe didn't. And it, I mean, it really goes to show. I mean, with that change, just how close that battle was during the fall camp. And I was there for a good chunk of those practices, uh, and you're not you're not seeing much difference. Both quarterbacks would give up, maybe have a couple of bad plays. Uh, the one thing you saw with Hornerbrook, though, hey, you throw an interception, he comes back next drive and you know he leads a touchdown drive or he has some deep passes that he completes on so he's he has that trait with a quarterback uh, and so does Houston for that matter I would say but Hornerbrook has that poise where okay he shakes it off he goes back and the confidence is unwavering uh, and so that's good to see and the difference between the two with Houston and, and Hornerbrook Houston has that NFL caliber arm right and you saw that uh, against Akron with that there's a 34 yard touchdown pass to Jazz Peavy that was on a rope uh, I mean you're looking at one of those where you know you're thinking oh it's going to get deflected uh, you know and the way they threw it but you know Houston's arm is a cannon and, and or a rocket if you want to make some NASA punch there and the, the thing with the Georgia State game came with the fact that the offense is out of sync they were three and nine on third downs I still wonder if you the change would have been made if they convert on two scoring opportunities and, and go up 16 nothing at half compared to six nothing at halftime but Hornerbrook has this he may not have as strong of an arm uh, you, you saw that uh, I think maybe against uh, Michigan during the game where you, you try to throw you know an out uh, and you know if you, if you don't throw it on the money or in that right area it, if it's under thrown that's going to be intercepted and you, you saw that I would say I mean besides that he has this ability to place a deep ball nicely and it was against Akron uh, to, to a true freshman AG Taylor was about a 35 to 38 yard gain there and throughout practice you just saw the ability to put a touch on the ball that allows the receivers to get underneath it and and make a play so you know he has a, a maturity beyond his years so far he I think he asserts himself well in that huddle and you know the players trusted him and yeah Michigan was bad and he got drilled a lot and, and a lot of people there's been a lot of media reports out there saying that uh, and I didn't hear it at this point where that where he got hit pretty hard you know early on that game and that that probably affected some of his throws later on that included in my opinion the 70 what would have been a 77 yard touchdown pass to Jazz Peavy with the Michigan defender falling down that would have completely changed the makeup of the game there but from what you know you've seen other media reports this week that uh forgot who exactly on the Wisconsin side said it, but in a tweet they mentioned how focused he was this week. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be, a, he has to be because it's a tough challenge. They know about Ohio State's defense. They know about the secondary that already has four pick sixes uh, on this young season through five games and just how talented that defense is. Uh, but with Hornerbrook, and it's, it showed with them not pulling him uh, for Houston in the middle of the game in Ann Arbor, uh, it shows that they have confidence in them and that he is the quarterback of the future. I mean, even if, like, what, what we know about Michigan State now, I think through five games of the season, may, they might be ass. They might not be a very good team, but man, it, it'd be hard to put a redshirt freshman into a more difficult situation as a quarterback than their first three starts being conference nonetheless at Michigan State against Michigan's defense but also that secondary in the pass rush that they have and now even though Ohio State's pass rush isn't what it was last year you still have that defensive line the linebacking core is one of the best in the country and then you noted the four pick sixes that they already have this season one of the best secondaries in the country so I think even if Alex Hornibrook doesn't have the greatest of games I think just from an outsider's perspective I think can be a positive for Wisconsin fans going forward that that this kid has faced you know some of the best competition in the country in only his first three starts yeah and it, and that's you know it's gonna go far I mean they have I mean Houston graduates this year right so you have Hornerbrook 
player by the name of Kare Lyles. He's a legacy. His uh, father, Kevin, was actually a quarterback before they transitioned him over to tight end. Uh, it's a very comparable to Owen Daniels there uh, with that transition. But you have that, and then you have a, c- a couple quarterbacks coming in where uh, Jack Cohen, who is a, a New York kid that, you know, if he sticks with his verbal commitment of, uh, four stars by by a few of the recruiting services highly touted out of new york i'm wondering you know like uh, how that'll play into it uh they also have a, a couple walk-ons one that's coming that's already there another one that's uh stepping up uh next year if he keeps his verbal so i mean i i would say i mean his job's safe oh i wouldn't even, I, don't, I don't even know if i would call it safe i mean but uh, he has the experience and that's only going to carry him forward and, and paul crystal always push the quarterbacks uh, to do as much as they can and learn and I really feel that, I mean, he could be a three to four year starter. I mean, including this year, you know, and so, you know, with that experience and, and how he's grown, even in the first few games uh, and, and within the first year and a half of being in Madison, you know, that, that can only help him out. And also like once that offensive line gets healthy and next year, it seems like it's gonna, it might be the year where that line finally gels to going back to what you normally saw at a Paul Chris offense when he was the off- offensive court coordinator in 2010 2011 you could see something special next year for sure but yeah i mean you've worked through those tough times you you gain that experience and hornerbrook has that opportunity i think to to be one of wisconsin's best quarter quarterbacks uh, statistically well and before we dive into the game let's let's get into kind of the the identity of the wisconsin offense real quick and because when you look at uh, i have their their uh, advanced stat profile in front of me right now and it's so surprising based off of just like wisconsin's history in the last two decades or since barry alvarez showed up that wisconsin right now through five games 13th in passing snp plus with a freshman quarterback in that normally dominant wisconsin running game that maybe we didn't see last year but in 2014 13 and in prior before that, they ranked 43rd this year. The offensive line has, is 110th in opportunity rate, 85th in power success rate. This just isn't Wisconsin football when you think of of what that program is. What's kind of like? I mean, it's this is a, a broad question, but what's kind of been the main reasons for that? Where they just haven't they haven't clicked, or, or what's been the deal there? Uh, I can point to two things, and it's uh, the attrition, and that's due more to the players leaving the program due to injuries and it's mostly been injuries just this year you're looking at the fact that dan volts who was going to move the left guard he was a center for most of his wisconsin career uh, but was going to move the left guard because michael dieter played so well at that position uh, he's a red shirt sophomore now dieter is but volts was going to move over to left guard and and you know that was going to be uh, the beginning of a rock solid offensive line, uh, but he went out with an injury. Uh, you know, and he's had injuries for the past two years. He retires about a week or two before the LSU game, which was a shock. Many, many, you know, in the media didn't see Dan practice, but you know, he it was a huge blow to to an offensive line that was seeking some sort of solidarity, some chemistry and you need that you know a week or two before your you know your season opener so there's that i mean they've lost george panos who was a you know a high three-star recruit out of heartland arrowhead in near the milwaukee area and um he had lingering injuries he decided to leave the program this year because of um just problems and and trying to get healthy uh, in the past walker williams uh, who I believe had a head injury, uh, you know, Hayden Beagle, Vince's younger brother, had to leave the program because of head injuries. Uh, you look, you know, down the road, and you know, uh, Jaden Galt, who is the one of the prized possessions of, I think it was the class of 2014, you know, was supposed to enroll early too, went through some personal issues, no longer with the team, so he's out of there. So you know, there's a lot of injuries, a lot of people leaving, and, and this year in particular, uh, let's look at the fact that you know you have Brett Connors, uh, another former walk-on, who you know we have a joke at Bucky's fifth quarter with the hashtag Brett Connors backs up the world because at one point he was starting, you know, he was the number two left tackle, left guard or right guard center, and right basically he was the backup for all five positions, and you know they, they wanted eight to nine guys ready. Uh, and playable, and they had maybe six or seven at, at some points between the injuries. And uh, Micah Kapoy, who's a left guard, you're looking at the fact that with uh, you know the Hawaiian native uh, injured his foot against LSU, and, and he played on it, uh, and he had you know, and it, he's been hampered by injuries. He's finally back, but 
even with him back last, you know, was like two weeks ago against Michigan, Connor still started. So they don't, I don't know if they necessarily know where they want him to play. And then John Dietzen, who's a, a prize recruit, he dealt with some issues with his leg. He's questionable for Saturday's game uh, with a right leg issue. So you know, you're going back and forth. And yeah, needless to say, it's a, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're floating players back and forth. I think Michael Dieter right now, who looks like to be the number one, be the starting left guard on Saturday, he's better at center. But until they get Dietzen back, who I think really is what will make that offensive line a better run, you know, just uh, the ability to run better, I think, will go through Dietzen. They have to basically just work through it and continue to try to push and get healthy uh, if, if they can through this daunting Big Ten schedule. But another thing I would say, too, uh, it's been made. There's been articles about it. I would say the strength underneath the previous regime and not throwing anybody under the bus is just a different philosophy. But, you know, Gary Anderson wanted more of a spread look. He wanted a mobile quarterback. And, and that type of offense is a different type of lineman, it's, which is different from what you've seen from Wisconsin in the past, uh, where you have these 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six linemen that are 310 to 330 pounds but can pull like nothing else. Those guards can run, you know, the backside pull. The guard will crush an opposing linebacker or defensive back. Uh, and, you know, I, maybe the philosophy went away from there. And, you know, I think they're still waiting for the uh, getting the, you know, getting their strength and conditioning going. And, and Russ Kalaji is a former player, former Rose Bowl winning uh, defensive lineman for the Badgers, played in the NFL and came over with Chris from Pitt. You know, he's getting those guys back into shape. And, and Joe Rudolph, the offensive coordinator, uh, former another. This is a very consistent theme with Wisconsin's coaching staff. A lot of former players and Joe Rudolph was a team captain uh, and one of the uh, um, starting guards for the 1994 Rose Bowl team. He's working them and they're getting better. And every week, Paul Chris says they're, he likes their approach. He likes their effort. They still got work to do. So it's a combination of just the injuries and the attrition. And then maybe the philosophies from the regime past, it caught up with the depth of the offensive line uh, and the strength and what they want to do with them. So I think next year you'll really see how that team, you know, how that line, that position group progresses because Volts was supposed to be the only departing senior. Now you have Ramchek, uh, who may get looks from the NFL. This is the guy's, again, former walk-on, comes from Division Three, locks down left tackle spot. And even last year, you heard reports from Joe Schobert and Vince Beagle glowingly talk about how good Ramchek is. He's anchored that left tackle spot nicely. But let's say Deason gets healthy, Dieter moves back to center, and then you have Bo Benchwall and... Jake Maxwell on the right side at right guard and right tackle, respectively. If you can get some more continuity there and one more year experience, next year could be that year where it's breakout time for that running game uh, and, and with maybe not as tough a schedule as Wisconsin's faced. Heck, you're looking at possibly a, a return of a, a dominant running game right now. It's a completely different story. Well, in, in diving into Saturday's game, from your perspective, what are a couple of the biggest matchups that you were watching for on Saturday? I mean, let, let's let's talk about that offense for Ohio State, trying to contain JT Barrett and Mike Weber, Curtis Samuel. It's, you know, Wisconsin, as we're talking to a guy like Garrett Dooley to Jack Sitchie earlier this week when they had player availability, even TJ Watt, uh, we put up that video up on Bucky's Fifth Quarter's YouTube page. There's a lot of respect for those players, uh, and, and they continually stress they have to play disciplined. Know your assignments. Don't get caught up. Uh, and one good example of that was uh, Jabril Peppers from Michigan actually tweeted out a picture uh, earlier this week or last week, if I'm not mistaken. And he had he had a picture saying, you know, like you know, the caption was, "When you see it, you know, when you're hoping that def you know, when that linebacker crash." in on that running back and stay, you know, and doesn't play disciplined and does the crying face emoji. But, you know, the picture was of Zach Bond, you know, reading that wildcat look and he, they didn't let Peppers beat him. And Wisconsin has to do the same thing uh, when it comes to containing the run game. I mean, it's the big battle will be can Wisconsin contain that rushing attack, you know, of Ohio State's. Uh, if they can force JT Barrett to throw more than run, they have a decent chance, especially with how well the secondary's played and how surprising it's been. Uh, that's the, I mean, I think that's the one big key there for the Badgers uh, on that end. Uh, offensively, 
you know, it kind of goes back to the same thing, but Wisconsin has to establish the, some semblance of a run game to help alleviate, you know, just the passing game and, and any type of stagnant offensive performance. They can't, they have to take advantage of all the opportunities when given to them. And, and there are some good signs from that team from the offense against Michigan, despite only getting 159 yards of total offense. Their first drive was, imp- you know, even though it was a punt, they moved the ball into Michigan territory. They, there were some good signs there and they got open, but it has to, this, you know, it's, I don't know how in terms of comparison between Michigan and Ohio state's front, you know, front seven, I would say Michigan may have the more dominant defensive line, but I think Ohio state obviously has tons of talent and their linebackers are, you know, I it w- will be amazing. So I'm thinking if they can establish some form of a run game there for the to help out and to move the ball here and there, move the chains on critical situations, that's something to watch for, and that could help the you know go against a really talented secondary. That you know how can I say it? it they've you know exceeded expectations from what I have heard, and uh, they've played quite well. And so I mean it kind of goes back to both, in my opinion, of you know who wins that line of scrimmage. It may be the cliche, but um, if Wisconsin can hold the Ohio State running game there's some opportunities there and if Wisconsin can get the ball rolling a little bit on you know with with their rushing attack that could open up the play action and and possibly some uh, abilities to make some plays downfield will that happen against the number two team in the nation that boasts such talent on both sides of the ball like I said it's gonna be it's a different story so uh, so, so we'll see. I mean, there's a healthy amount of respect. I do think Wisconsin has the chance to make something happen, but you know, they, all the players talk about, you know, they, they have to do their one eleventh uh, on the field. And if they do that, uh, each player does it, uh, it'll be a complete effort. So we'll see what happens. Well, and it's, it's interesting that you brought up the players talking about and the linebackers in particular talking about staying disciplined and, and that peppers play, you know, Michigan, isn't necessarily a read-based offense. Michigan State isn't. I don't know enough about Georgia State or Akron to know if they are, but LSU certainly isn't. Do you think that this is probably the first time that that Wisconsin is going to face an offense like this all season where it's a lot of reads and and it is going to have to be a lot of discipline? And just from watching Ohio State this season, you know, even when the passing game like last week didn't necessarily work or it's kind of stuttered against Tulsa, they've been able to just bludgeon teams on the ground so it does seem like the the biggest thing for Wisconsin this week is even if they're able to have success against Ohio State's passing offense is that that could be all for naught if Ohio State just decides to run the ball and Wisconsin isn't disciplined right you hit it on the head on that where it, it's this is a different beast compared to what they've faced and I would say you know they've faced spread attacks before spread based offenses against Akron uh, which is more often you know, more passing based uh, and you know George State actually had some success running the ball, uh, but their pass game was what opened it as well. This, we have a player of Mike Weber's caliber, who, if I'm not mistaken, is leading the Big Ten in yards per game rushing. Uh, you have Curtis Samuel, who I've if I'm not mistaken as well, mentioned that, you know, has drawn comparisons in that H-back role to Percy Harvin uh, as that receiver, you know, running back combination. They, they have a challenge on their hands to stay disciplined. It's in, it's going to be a quarterback that runs more than what they're used to as well. And it's going to be key to lock in your assignments. Uh, you know, I even asked Garrett Dooley, like, what's your, what is your assignment? And he didn't necessarily break it down. He just said, we need to stay disciplined. We need to stay where we need to be trust in the next person and things will fall in place now like you know with with how talented Ohio State is and and how you know there's always that temptation to try to do more than what is normally expected of you and Wisconsin has to resist that urge to do so and uh against you know like I said against Barrett uh Weber in, in that running game yeah, it's going to be a daunting challenge, and they're going to give up some plays. But I also think that they'll they'll be a little. I think just the way that they've played, being smart, tough, dependable, has that slogan. They have a chance to, I think, surprise some people. But I do feel that Ohio State will get some plays on Saturday. All right. So, what do you think is Wisconsin's best chance to win this football game? Well, looking at the weather, I haven't. Let me just take a look at that right now because I forgot, I forgot to check the updates on it earlier today. They were talking about how the weather was going to be at night. I think a sixty percent chance of rain. And so, when you have, I mean, if it's going to be a wet night, it reminds me of the two thousand three Wisconsin win 
underneath the lights of Camp Randall, uh, where, you know, it was a little rainy, damp that night. Uh, not, not the greatest day for offense, uh, for that matter. But, you know, I would say Wisconsin has to take advantage of every opportunity. So if it's wet outside, uh, you know, try to put a helmet on the ball or, you know, strip the ball, a peanut Tillman punch uh, that you saw Derek Tyndall have earlier this year against Akron, you know, stuff like that where they need to go and uh, just every opportunity they have to take advantage of. And against Michigan, they didn't. They had a chance for three interceptions that were dropped, one by Dakota Dixon, one by Leo Musso, which would have prevented a touchdown a couple plays later uh, on that. That's that their first scoring drive. Uh, and then Luber and Figaro, who very important, you know, third defensive back or the third cornerback, I should say, uh, in place of Natrell Jamerson, who's been out with a leg injury. Um, you know, he drops an interception at the goal line. And just, even though Michigan missed that field goal, one of their three missed field goals, he could have taken that up 100 yards for a touchdown. Completely changes the game, too. Uh, in the games that they've won, and you saw that against Michigan State, where four turnovers led to 13 points, seven of them directly on Leo Musso's 66-yard fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, they have to create turnovers, and they, when they do, they have to embrace the opportunity and capitalize. Uh, and against Michigan, against Ohio State, they're going to have to do the same. And you know, this is a very, I know Ohio State, not just a the talent, they have discipline as well. The opportunities will be very few and far in between, but when they have that shot, they have to make the most of it. Uh, and that, that, I think that's one big thing. Besides containing that running game for Ohio State field position, I think uh, comes down to it. Uh, P.J. Rosowski has been a really solid kickoff specialist. And again, another or, you know, a walk-on contributing in a big way, and he's put the ball into the end zones you know many times this year uh, for the Badgers as their kickoff specialist but punting you know it's I've been a little little critical of it uh, you have a true freshman by the name of Anthony Lati uh, who is one of the, you know one of the best punter prep punters in the state or not in the state but just the nation last year and you know he's he's done well at times but he's also been inconsistent where you know against the Wolverines he only had a 40 yard average uh, he had a couple down inside the 20, which didn't help the average, helped out with field position here and there. But, you know, he averaged, uh, actually it was, I think if I'm not mistaken, about under 35 yards per punt uh, in Ann Arbor. So they need that field position and they need to keep Ohio State pinned back. Uh, and again, it's a football cliche, but the field position, that third phase of the game, I think will have to come in handy. Something's going to have to happen, whether it's a return or a field goal block or a punt block. They're going to have to have something from that third phase of the game. And that's without Rafael Gaglianoni, their junior place kicker who's out for the year with a back injury. You mentioned the uh, the weather maybe being similar to the 2003 game. I think as long as we don't have Robert Reynolds, Jim Sorge too, <laughs> I think both fan bases are probably going to be pretty happy if that situation doesn't happen again. So a couple more and we'll get you out of here. If you had to make a prediction... Final score for the game, what are you going Right with? now, I said on our podcast a couple nights ago, I'm going to go 24-17 Ohio State. I know the 10, 10.5-point 10 underdogs there. This team, even without Vince Beagle and Gaglianoni, they are playing at, at a pace that defense is going to keep them in the game no matter what. And it's... Uh, the offense, I'm three, you know, I'm heavily skeptical about how they'll do against the Ohio defense, especially in the passing game, unless they get some sort of running attack going. And, and we'll see what type of tricks Paul Christ has up his sleeve, uh, which I'm not sure how, you know, what he'll do outside of some variations of jet sweeps con with a combination of a uh, inside zone run that here and there to, to try to throw off the, the Ohio State defense there. But I think Ohio State just makes too many plays in the end. Uh, Wisconsin, I just don't know if they can generate 20 plus points right now against the caliber defense that the Buckeyes are. So uh, I think they play it close. I think it's close for, for a good chunk of the game. It'll be a four quarter game. I think Ohio State pulls it off 24 17. Yeah, and that, that def definitely, from, from my perspective, doesn't sound like something that's out of the question at all. I think that, you know, for Wisconsin's offense, like you're saying, a, a lot's going to come down to are they going to be able to move the ball? I, I do think that they're going to have to come up with something, whether it's an onside kick, a big punt return a big kick return like we saw in the uh in the 2010 game the last time college game day was was in camp randall for an ohio state wisconsin game with the opening kickoff for a touchdown something like that is going to have to happen i think because it's it's hard for me to see this wisconsin offense really 
moving the ball down the field. And then defensive wise, I think that if there's one thing I think to take away from this podcast and maybe the, the talk about this game heading into Saturday is it's a lot with the linebackers and what they were telling the media and telling you that they have to be disciplined. You look at Wisconsin's defensive line, they're 123rd in defensive line havoc rate. And against Ohio State's running game, if you don't get those guys down on the ground within the first three or four yards, you know, it may be good night, especially if you're talking about a guy like Curtis Samuel. So I think it, a lot of it is going to be on the Wisconsin linebackers to really kind of hem that Ohio State running game in. And if they're able to get six, seven yard chunks, even if Ohio State isn't able to have the, the greatest day and be efficient passing the ball, they may be able to run if the Wisconsin linebackers aren't up to snuff. But before we get you out of here, I want to talk a little bit about the new book coming out. I think it's it's later in the year. You're the co-author of Walk On This Way, the ongoing legacy of the Wisconsin football walk-on tradition. And, you know, everybody that isn't a Wisconsin fan, we know about the Jared Aberderis's, Jim Leonard, J.J. Watt, Joe Schobert. I think those are, those are four of the main guys without getting giving away too much of the book. What what have been some of the reasons for Wisconsin's success with these walk-on players since Barry Alvarez? Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to when Alvarez first took over the program and it's, you know, back in 1990 when they're coming off a, a terrible season uh, and, you know, he, he brought a, you know, he tried to close the, the, the walls of the state to try to get uh, the best players to stay in town. You saw players going to Iowa, to Michigan, to Notre Dame, and he wanted to close those walls up. He also instituted a physical running attack. The third thing was trying to mimic the walk-on program that he played with underneath Bob Devaney in Nebraska. And he's taken that, and in my opinion, he's succeeded far beyond it. The, the, the Nebraska program, and granted, I may be biased because I wrote the book, but it's a, you have the fact that they've taken players, and so it's, as Brett Bielema, I know Urban Meyer's favorite opposing head coach, uh, besides Jim Harbaugh, uh, maybe number two on that list uh, of, of great uh, coaches he loves uh, talking about, these players that are undersized, underdeveloped, and under underrecruited. And these players that maybe come from a small school that, for instance, right now, and I don't know how he's going to do, this may be a poor example, but a guy named Hunter Johnson out of Darlington High School, southwestern Wisconsin right now, is putting up astronomical numbers in like a first half alone, or first quarter alone, he had 143 yards rushing on like four or five carries, a couple of touchdowns and interception. That was like last week or two weeks ago, right? And in a player that came from the same high school was Alex Erickson, who's now in the Cincinnati Bengals, was an all Big Ten wide receiver and was a walk-on. And so these guys before him, Luke Swan, uh, back in 2006, 2007, stepped up huge as a former walk-on out of Fenimore High School, also in, in in southwestern Wisconsin. You're looking at guys that come from maybe smaller schools that the competition's not there, that, you know, a lot of there's overlooked. And, you know, once they get to a, a camp and they show off that they can play, uh, which is what happened with Jimmy Leonard. He ran, if I'm not mistaken, two four four, you know, a couple of four fours during a Wisconsin camp back in early, like 2000 or so. He was offered a walk-on opportunity. Uh, and these guys are overlooked because of the, the geography. The Some guys are just late bloomers. Where J.J. Watt, for example, granted he committed. Let me just say that, but preface it by saying he committed to Central Michigan as a scholarship player before transferring to Wisconsin and walked onto the program. But Wisconsin didn't recruit him initially as a junior because he weighed right around two pounds, and you know he was you know what six three, six four maybe. Uh, now he's up around six five. Um, you know he grew a little bit, but then he added weight and turned up to be 250 and went from there. So you have these guys that are maybe some late maturers that needed a year in the weight room. And, you know, so that's where the, there's a, some of them have that chip on the shoulder where they felt like either due to injuries in high school or just being overlooked, they had to prove something to themselves. Other guys didn't have that. Other guys just worked really hard at it and, and proved themselves. So it's been impressive to see just guys like uh, Jared Aberderis, who was originally recruited to be a track athlete, you know, talking to a couple of media members. He was supposed to be an Olympic or an NCAA champion caliber decathlete. Uh, and he was almost going to switch over to become a decathlete uh, and focus primarily on track. And until his, you know, after his, that first season, you know, that he kept 
going back and practicing with some players for football. And next thing you know, the next season, he's number two wide receiver and uh, or number two on the depth chart, I should say, behind uh, Nick Toon and getting some ample playing time. So it's a combination of, of just guys that continued to work hard to have the chip on their shoulder. And a lot of guys mentioned this as well. They don't know when their opportunities are going to happen. They will get them, but they don't know when. But when it does happen, they have, they take advantage of them. And you've seen that time in and time out with these walk-ons. Uh, if it's a you know Joel Stavi, who may be the most polarizing football player in in modern Wisconsin football history. <laughs> And, you know, I've gotten to know Joel a little bit through writing the book and in the process uh, and covering him. And, um, you know, personally, it's almost it's hard. There's a little bias. And you can you know talk to a lot of guys in the media that Joel is one of the nicest guys and one of the most professional guys for a college football player that I've ever known. And he went through a lot, but he made his chance as a redshirt freshman against Utah State. And his future head coach, Gary Anderson, where he comes in and helps lead them to the victory. The stats didn't show it, but he made his opportunity last and, and fought through adversity. And so a lot of these players, it's, it's a story of, it, of overcoming adversity and taking advantage of those opportunities when they have them and it's just not letting go of it. And so and we, we, we touch on that. Uh, we also have just some fun stories of those guys that you know, it's not just we don't focus on uh, the gym. We focus a lot. Don't get me wrong on on. Coach Jim Leonard now and, and what he did in the NFL. We, we talk about Jared Aberderis, Chris Maragos, who's on the uh, Philadelphia Eagles after winning the Super Bowl in Seattle, Brady Ewing, and, and, and the, a lot of the more successful names. Uh, and we talk about J.J. Watt a lot there. But there are also some players that are just the role players that, that needed a you know um, break in case of emergency type player uh, or just like a player that essentially was the scout team All-American, as we would say. But they pop up when their opportunity counts where a player in 2000 by the name of Josh Hunt uh, with the shoebox scandal where they're leading punt returners out uh, because of a suspension. He jumps into the game, goes 89 yards for a punt return for a touchdown, which would was the game deciding touchdown in a, in a, you know uh, in the game, and that's his only play that he knows you know that he's known for. Um, and you know we we tried to highlight all aspects of the walk-on story from those that made it prominently that were starters that were all conference, all American or NFL superstars to those that, Hey, I had this one shot and I made it. Uh, and there's, there's tons of laughs. It was one of the most, I'll be honest, like writing a book, like, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. And, but the thing is though, like this talking with, you know, talking with you, talking with just uh, some of the former players that had a chance to kind of read the book, their part of the book that they were in. Um, it was a rewarding experience to, to kind of see the laughs and the smiles coming from them. And, and, and just uh, the experience itself was rewarding. And I'm just hoping everyone enjoys it. Well, where can the, uh, where can the fine people find this book and, and when is its release? Yeah. Uh, good news. Uh, we actually, uh, it's coming out. Um, we're hoping for bookshelves uh, here in the, the Wisconsin area, uh, the, like Bucky's locker room and uh, the university book bookstore you're probably looking sometime next week early next early to mid next week you guys can actually order it on kcisports.com that's kcisports.com if you scroll down to the bottom of the page there's a link to walk on this way uh, or you can call 1-800-697-3756 and uh, coming up in the next few weeks, hopefully we can announce them. We have some cool things going on. We got uh, the media blitz is going to be coming on. Uh, hopefully, I'm prepared for it for my day job. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> my, my boss is, was a former season ticket holder, so hopefully uh, we'll be uh, we'll be good on there. But there's going to be a lot of fun things coming forth. Uh, hopefully, some good promotions and guys, check it out. I mean, and, and, and the thing too, it's uh, you know, I know it's a Wisconsin, it's a niche book. It's for Wisconsin. You know, a lot of people from Wisconsin will identify it, and you kind of talk about that too. How the walk on experience uh, kind of caters to and is an extension of the Wisconsin citizens here but really there's such good stories that are that are feel good that you know you know people in Nebraska can understand you know uh, and, and throughout college football can understand the story so we hope you guys enjoy it uh, and uh, you know any feedback from for us let us know we just want to make the, the experience better absolutely well I know I will for sure be picking up a copy and if you love college football, and it's, it's a Big Ten book, so I would encourage all of our listeners to check it out. We'll have a link in our post on Land Grant Holy Land on where to check it out and all of that good stuff. But on that note, we will say goodbye to Jake. If you want to catch any of his work, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Jake K-O-C-O-B-5-Q. You can also follow follow 
Bucky's Fifth Quarter on Twitter. Also check them out, Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Awesome site, funny stuff, good analysis. He is a writer for Bucky's Fifth Quarter, also for Badger Nation, and then co-host of their awesomely named <laughs> podcast, the Kielbasa Kings Sports Extravaganza Podcast. It just makes me want to eat a damn brat. I love no. it. It's, it's, it's one of the best names I've ever It's so Wisconsin. It is. It, you know, and that's what started it all, uh, really. I mean, real quick. Quick, they, my uh, we started at Bucky's fifth quarter in 2013. At, they were looking for you know our managing editor, our, man, our site manager, I should say, Mike Fiametta was looking for a podcast. I you know we wanted to to go to a pot you know a website that was established and and we wanted to uh, expand the brand there. And it was a perfect marriage. And and Mike has been great with us. You know we've had Matt Brown on several times to talk about uh, you know the Buckeyes or BYU you know and and, and whatnot. But we've grown, and but even before that, we were an independent podcast. You know, we're just on Podbean, uh, and we kind of worked our way up. And, and my co-host Scott Wisniewski, we call him the Polish Rifle. He used to be at ESPN Wisconsin, the ESPN affiliate in Milwaukee. So you know, we kind of came together. We actually met in wrestling. He's my my former promoter slash uh, wrestling rival, if you will. And so. It's a, uh, and that's another thing about me. I used to do indie wrestling. My wife, as you can tell, is a saint. She allows me to sports write, to write a book, to help care for our three kids who are my pride and joy. And then also, you know, has let me uh, step into the ring uh, somewhat begrudgingly back in the past. So, but no, this podcast, the podcast started all, I owe a lot to Scott and, and to Mike for, for making this happen. And who knew in four short years, uh, you know, writing for a great website like Bucky's Fifth Quarter and, and also like, publishing a book that uh, hopefully, uh, you know, reflects the the tradition of the walk-on program accurately and, and gives them their just due. Well, and, you know, any of the listeners that follow me on Twitter, now that they know you were an indie wrestler, they're, like, going to be shocked that we didn't just go, and we, we talked beforehand, that we didn't just, like, marathon this bitch of, like, 50 minutes of wrestling. So, listeners, we gave you guys a respite there, but be sure to check out Jake and their co-host, Kielbasa Kings Sports Extravaganza Podcast. We'll have a link to that as well in the post on Land Grant Holy Land. Check him out on Twitter, JakeKOCOB5Q. Also his work for Bucky's Fifth Quarter and Badger Nation, and as well as the book that's coming out next week, Walk On This Way, The Ongoing Legacy of the Wisconsin Football Walk-On Tradition. Jake, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank us, you guys. And remember, diamonds are forever, and so is TJ Watt. Woo! <laughs> thanks, hey, no, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, and there you have it, everybody. I want to thank Jake Kokorowski once again for joining the podcast and taking some time to talk with me about Ohio State, Wisconsin. You can find Jake on Twitter at JakeKOCOB5Q, and you can find his work at Bucky's Fifth Quarter, BadgerNation.com, and as well as an audio format for the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza podcast. I would also once again encourage you guys to check out Walk On This Way when it drops next week. I'll throw a link to the book and where you can order it on the blog post for LandGrantHolyLand.com so you guys can check that out there. But on that note, that should do it for another edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land podcast. We'll be back on either Monday or Tuesday to recap what should hopefully be an impressive Buckeye win. But until then, enjoy your weekend, everybody. Enjoy the game. And as always, roll damn bucks. Bucks.